Welcome back to Hurdle. My name is Emily Abadi. I'm the creator and host of this here podcast that checks in with badass humans who got through a tough time in their life, a hurdle of sorts, by leaning into wellness. On today's episode, I sit down with Sarah Levy, the totally down-to-earth woman behind Y7 Studio. If you're unfamiliar, Y7 is a hip-hop yoga studio that started as a pop-up in Williamsburg and now has nine locations as of today when their Tribeca studio opens here in New York City. Before I get into it, quick thanks to the sponsor of today's episode, Ultra Shoes. I've been talking to you guys about just how rad the sneakers are that Ultra makes for a few weeks now. And I actually did some running in a shoe of theirs just this morning at the gym. It was so lightweight that literally at times I felt like I was hardly wearing a thing. Again, that's Ultra Shoes and that sneaker I'm talking about is the Escalante. Trust me, they are so worth checking out. One quick call out, if you haven't done so yet, make sure to keep up with Hurdle on all of the social media channels, all of them, by following me at Hurdle Podcast. And also click on over to hurdle.us slash featured. Again, that's hurdle.us slash featured, where you can enter your email address to stay in the loop with my new newsletter. Try saying my new newsletter five times fast. (laughs) In there, you'll find answers to listener emails and inspirational tidbits from my guests, among other things. Also, pretty, pretty, please go on over to the iTunes store, rate and review Hurdle. Do it. Just do it right now. It helps the podcast get visibility and puts us on the charts and all of the things. So please, please. Okay, I think that's enough for now. Let's do this. On today's episode of Hurdle, I'm sitting here with Sarah Levy, co-founder of Y7 Studio. Sarah, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, like Emily said, my name is Sarah. I am the co-founder of Y7 Studio. I am also an author and a health coach as well. How does it feel to be an author? This is a new thing for you. It's a very new thing for me. I'm still getting used to saying it. Um, it's cool. It's been really fun. Uh, what's the title of your book for people that want to go grab it? Uh, it's called We Flow Hard. A Guide to Crafting Your Yoga Practice. I love it. So next up, why don't we talk a little bit about your yoga practice, about Y7 Studio. Give people a gist of what they can expect when they go into Y7. Yeah, so Y7 is a little bit of a different yoga experience. You walk into the studio and everything is super, super minimal. We keep everything um, to neutral colors and a palette. Um, The studio room itself is dark. There are no mirrors and it is candlelit and we use infrared heating technology as well. So what does that mean? What it means is basically it's a radiant heat that is going to, um, heat you from the inside out. So instead of being hot forced air coming out of a vent, like a lot of traditional hot studios, these are going to be, um, it's going to heat up the molecules within the room. So the room is hot. The, the room's be- hot. The beats are hot, too. The beats are hot. We play a lot of music. Um, we 
kind of got coined a hip hop yoga studio, um, which really started as just kind of a fun way to do music themes. We have Hip Hop Wednesdays, which is a surprise every week of a hip hop artist um, of our choosing. And all of the classes are themed to that. I was just thinking in my head how it would be to do yoga like in a live concert experience. I feel like that's got to be something that's on your radar at some point or it's another. It's on our radar, for sure. <laughs> it's, I think it's a little bit difficult, you know, mostly because of the sheer amount of people it would be to instruct, which I can't even fathom. But, <laughs> you know, we have done a couple of live DJ classes, which has been really fun. But it's a lot of work, too. It's a lot of work for the DJ, for the instructor, you know, to be timing, you know, when it gets louder, when a beat drops, things like that, um, you know, and the instructor speaking as well. So there's a lot of coordination that goes into it. You are sitting here. You said you got back about a week ago from Los Angeles. I did, yeah. Where you were doing what? Uh, opening our second location in L.A. in Silver Lake. Oh, my God. So that's your eighth location. It is our, yeah, our eighth so far. location. So far. Yes. It's crazy. So, I mean, let's let's go back a little bit to kind of the beginning, thinking about how this started, because, you know, you don't open up eight yoga studios overnight, that's for sure. So <laughs> what were you doing? When, when did you open your first studio? So we opened our first studio in um, September of 2013. Um, two months prior to that, we were just a little pop-up. Um, and so we, you know, people wanted to come on a regular basis. So uh, we were kind of forced to open a permanent location. In uh, September of, say, 2011, what were you doing? I was working in fashion. Not yoga. Not yoga. And when did the pivot happen? When did you decide, eh? Um, You know, it it really wasn't a hard pivot, so to say. Um, I didn't actually leave my career in fashion until... Um, the spring of 2015. So two years after we had actually opened the first location, you know, the studio really came about as sort of something really personal for me. I wasn't happy with any of the classes and the experiences that were being offered to me in terms of yoga. I, you know, had never really been able to get into it. And I was always felt really left out. Um, sort of not yoga-ish enough to be in a lot of the classes that, you know, the instructors would talk about things. I had no idea what they were talking about. No one really took the time to explain them to me. Um, And I couldn't really find a place where I felt comfortable to explore my own practice and to grow my own practice. So, And what were some of those things that they were talking about that just made you feel kind of out of place? You know, not necessarily out of place, but just like I didn't know enough to be there. You know, there's some beautiful mantras in Sanskrit and chants and they would just go into deep dharma and I had no idea what I was talking about, what I was supposed to be getting from it. And I think that's one of the real barriers for um, beginners to get into yoga because you want to feel connected to something. It's hard when you're not on that level yet. And you know, maybe there isn't time for it to be explained to you or things like that. And it's not a bad thing. I love, you know, going to classes that dive a little bit deeper where there is a little bit more of a spiritual aspect. I love that. But as I was starting out, I wasn't ready for that. Totally. And I didn't know that that was even such a huge part of the practice. I was a total novice. And, you know, I think what's really cool about the environment we created at Y7 is that it's sort of a gateway, I think, to the bigger world of yoga. You don't know unless you're 
you know, you feel ready and sort of comfortable to try everything. Not everyone is ready to sort of jump out of their comfort zone all the time. Of course, as with anything, as with, say, running, for example, it's like some people are really excellent and love going out and running a mile. And some people love going out and running a marathon. And there's nothing wrong with being one or the other. Totally. It's just totally about your preference. Right. Okay. About two years after founding Y7 in Williamsburg, yes. you decide, I need to take a step back from having another full-time job. And this is <laughs> going to be bigger than a one studio situation. Yeah. So we open... Um, the Soho studio in the very beginning of 2015 and Flatiron in March 2015. And it just became really apparent, you know, when we were opening Flatiron that if we really wanted to take this to the next level and, you know, to provide a quality experience, one of us had to leave our jobs and focus on it full time. And just to reiterate, Sarah co-founded Y7 Studio with her now husband. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the we is, he is the other half of that <laughs> sentence. Um, but yeah, he was working in digital advertising and was doing great, making way more money than me. So it made sense for me to leave my um, job. And it was a really smart decision. And six months later, he ended up leaving his too. And we've been fully devoted ever since. Ever since. Ever since. So then when do you start to add on to your team? Um, we made our first corporate hire in the end of 2016. Um, so you two were running the ship solo for yes. quite some time. Yes. It was really myself and Mason, everything on the back end. Um, one of our founding instructors, Stephanie uh, Lispina, who has been with us since you know, the end of 2013, since the very, very beginning. Um, she was super instrumental in also building our team of teachers. Um, so really was just kind of, you know, me and Mason and Stephanie, really. Any entrepreneur will tell you as a beginner that it's frightening and kind of going out of your comfort zone 100% all of the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. I live in a constant state of fear. <laughs> Good fear. Fear that drives you and is exciting. You know, it's and it's so funny. I was talking to um, I was talking to my doctor, you know, just my, you know, internist, my regular doctor for checkup. And he was like, you must be so busy. And I was like, I don't even think about it, really. You know, because I haven't, you know, I seem like once a year or whatever. And so things changed so much during that course of time. And he's like, just, you know, looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, I don't, I, guess I don't even think about it really, because if you kind of sit and think too much, it really, that's when it really starts to sink in. It's like, oh, there's a lot riding on this. Can I do this? You know, and we've always just been sort of move forward. I mean, I read this quote this morning and I believe it said you can be productive or you can be busy. And there's a very big difference between just being busy to be busy totally. and being productive to get things done. Right. <laughs> what would you say in your first year, first two years, really, of building this business really became to be one of the hardest things for you? I, you know, to kind of go back to why we're here, I was really my biggest hurdle. Um, I've never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. 
I would never use the word creative or anything or even a leader to kind of describe myself. I've never, I was never somebody growing up who was like, I want to be this, have this great big job with all these responsibilities. And I, I want to be the best. Like I never really had a single goal that I was super, super attached to. So gaining the confidence to trust myself and trust my gut and trust what Y7 is, you know, was really, really challenging for me in the beginning because, you know, it's, if you've been to Y7, you know that it's a little bit of a different yoga experience. It's, it definitely, definitely catches a lot of criticism, um, from, you know, more traditional practitioners who say it isn't yoga, that yoga is supposed to be this, it's supposed to be peaceful, it's supposed to be relaxing. And they have all these words that they use to predetermine what other people's experiences should be. And that's the whole reason why we created Y7 is because it's not like any other experience. And, you know, there were times when people were like, you should add this class in, you should do this, you should add weights, you should do these things. And there was a lot of questioning and I really had to trust myself to believe that what we're doing, the experience we created was created for a reason and to stick to that and to kind of block out all the noise. And I'm so happy that we did that and we kind of like took the criticism. I'm I'm very sensitive. I take everything very personally. So Which is ever, hard as an entrepreneur. Yes. So if you've ever left a mean comment, I read it and I get really sad, but... I'm glad we didn't listen to that and really stayed focused on what we wanted to do because, you know, it works. You know, when you're really passionate about something and you really believe in it, it shows. And I think if we would would have added in weights or, you know, other elements that were suggested that I wouldn't really believe in it. And I don't know if it would have been as successful. And it's got to be something that you really want to be on board with. Like, this is your baby. Yeah. To this idea of starting before you're ready. For me, with a project like this, it's like you you jump in and you get excited and you want to talk to all the people and share your vision. And here you are sharing your vision while still trying to figure out exactly what that entails. And that's okay. Yeah. Things can totally change. I mean, we never saw this as, you know, we started, I don't think we either Mason, my husband or myself saw this as being like, okay, this is what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. I don't think we ever saw that. It just, we really, really cared about it and ended up becoming something that other people cared about too. And that was really kind of what gave us the confidence and the empowerment to move forward. Talk to me a little bit about how it has been to build this business with your partner, because, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. You hear a lot of really successful people in business talk about growing them with their partners. I know Bar 3 with Sadie Lincoln, she did with her husband, um, Kate Spade, Kate and Andy Spade uh, did it together. How is it for you? It's really hard. I mean, it's a really kind of tough thing to do. I personally had never had a working relationship with my husband. So, and we're very, very different personalities, which in a way is a really good thing because we complement each other very well, but it's also super frustrating. So it's been a real, I think, test on our relationship. And there was definitely rough patches. We like to call it on the train to divorce court. Um, We sometimes hop on the train 
<laughs> but, you know, it's it's all really about communication and understanding that really there's always positive intent behind every, you know, question we ask each other um, or anytime we challenge each other, you know, and I think it's we really learn sort of we have to give ourselves a break a little bit and not be so tough on what we think our relationship should look like. And also to recognize when the other person um, needs, like when Mason needs me to be his wife versus when he needs me to be a colleague. And I'm sure, especially at the beginning, that must have been super difficult to make that pivot. Yeah. I mean, when we were just working out of the apartment, it was a mess, you know, because like you're in your home and like there's no real working hours and things like that. And now that we have an office, it's a clear like, okay, we're at work, like this is where we're going to have this meeting. Like we don't have meetings, you know, on our couch anymore or in our bedroom. Like that, you know, that was like a real thing where we'd be both like working on from the bed, like both <laughs> on our laptops in pajamas, like 11 PM at night, like having a real like in-depth conversation about finances. And that's just like not the place to have that. Like you don't want to have a conversation tired and all that stuff. You would never have those conversations with an employee or somebody else like that other than your partner and it becomes this like weird relaxed thing and you really need to set up boundaries I think when you got better at setting up boundaries how did you find uh, was the best way for you to release some of that stress and that tension for yourself you know we do a lot of nothing on the weekends which is great we eat a lot of food (laughs) um we also you know have this great yoga studio I'm still not what, you know, probably people would classify as a yogi, but I'm working on sort of crafting a daily practice for myself because I am better, you know, when I have that time to myself, when I do take those moments to be with myself really is what it is. It's an hour of no one else but me, just my practice and the mat, and I need to be better about it. I'm working on it. One last question for you about... Uh, building a business with your partner, what kind of advice do you have for someone that wants to do that as well? And cue the smirk that Sarah's like, uh. <laughs> I I wouldn't really recommend it, to be completely honest. Um, be very careful. Be careful. Be careful is my warning. And it's not to say that it can't be done. It can be done very successfully. Um, I know couples who have amazing, you know, relationships and businesses and it's not to say it can't be done I think you just really really have to want it I think also that can apply not just to people that are in a relationship but then also I mean relationships also being friendships a lot of friends come up with great ideas together and then you don't really think about the secondary aspect that goes with intertwining friendship with some sort of personal business goal absolutely it becomes one of those things where you don't want to hurt their feelings because it's not just a you know a working relationship this is your it could be a friend who's the one who's always coming to you with ideas and you have to be the one who's like that idea sucks <laughs> like that's really hurtful and it, you have to you know know how to balance and phrase it correctly and be compassionate empathetic but also keep the business in mind too and that's a lot of things to think about how else do you find that you're integrating like wellness as a whole into your routine you know, I'm really working on it. For me, it's 
my goal for 2018 is to really start to take care of myself and listen to what I need and works, what works best for me and my body. Um, I'm constantly traveling, super, super busy. So it's hard sometimes um, to remember that, you know, I'm doing all of these things and my body being healthy is what enables me to do that. Taking a break quickly to give the sponsor of today's episode, Ultra, a little bit more love. I had the chance to sit down with one of the brand's co-founders, Golden Harper, just a week ago in Park City, Utah. And the craziest tidbit I got from our conversation, aside from the fact that this is a true story, Harper actually currently holds the Guinness World Record for fastest marathon at age 12. (laughs) The craziest thing I got from him is that he made the first pair of Ultras using a toaster. Seriously. He wanted to see what it would be like to create a sneaker with zero drop, which essentially means that there is no difference in height from the forefoot to the heel. And through this crazy science project in his kitchen, Harper was able to jumpstart a rapidly successful shoe line that helps people run injury free and is also winning awards like crazy. Just last summer, the Escalante, which I was raving about at the beginning of today's episode, won Runner's World's Editor's Choice Award. Again, it's all Ultra shoes. Give them a look-see at ultrarunning.com. That's A-L-T-R-A running.com. Let's get back to it. So I'm back here sitting with Sarah Levy of Y7. Sarah, what is something that you look for when you are hiring someone to be a part of your team? I always want to know if they've taken class. Um, To me, it's really important if you're working for me in studio as front desk or cleaning or um, as a teacher that you understand the client um, and you understand the experience that we're trying to provide. Because if you don't understand that, how are you going to be able to provide it? We're a big culture of feedback and we always can do better. And so it's super important to me that everyone's really open to receiving feedback, to working with a team. How was it kind of that first time when you realized that you needed to take a step back and let someone else do the work? Because you have studio managers now that oversee each of your individual locations. Yeah. It's been really great. I My studio management team is my rock, really. As a leader, what is something that you hope to instill in the people that work for you? We all work differently, and it's really, you know, managing personalities. And I want them, just because I do something a certain way, doesn't mean they have to. I don't need them to all be, like, mini versions of me. I don't need that. And I don't, that probably wouldn't be the best thing. Um, And I want to empower them to sort of make decisions that need to be made and without always seeking approval, you know? On that note, do you feel like you have a certain piece of advice that you've been given over the years that you kind of keep coming back to? 
I feel like a broken record because I say this literally anytime anyone asks me, but it really is for me so true. One of um, my instructors who's actually part of our continuing education team as well, her name's Kristen, she... I was going through kind of like a rough patch. I was like super overwhelmed, really frustrated, just like not dealing with things very well in a healthy way. I was like just angry a little bit, like pissy, you know, I was like Mm -hmm. annoyed with everyone. And she said to me that, you know, and I was like complaining, I was like, it used to, you know, I just wanted to be like this and I wanted everything to be this way. And she said to me, well, it's like this now. So that's it. It's never going to be like it was and it's going to be different in five minutes and you have to understand that and go with that. And I really, I really come back to that every time something is not going my way or the way I planned it or the way I had it mapped out in my head. It's really coming back to the idea of like, well, this is how it is right now. And all you can do is move forward with what you have. I think my biggest sort of inspiration, and I don't know if you can call it inspiration really, but sort of drive that I get um, comes from our community. I love them. I love being in the studio. I love like, I love seeing our clients getting ready to go into class. They love looking around everyone like sweaty and just like all in it kind of together. And, you know, what we've done with the dark room is make it a really individual practice, you know, with the lights being low and, you know, we want everyone to move, you know, to the best of their ability without worrying about what they look like or what anyone else looks like. And, you know, but there's still that group energy that you get from the class and it's so powerful. And that's what really kind of motivates me anytime I'm taking on something new. Someone wants to start their own company, their own business. Mm -hmm. What do you wish someone told you when you were starting your business? You are never going to be ready. It's just, you're never going to, I don't, I'm still never ready for opening like another location. Like when we sign leases, I'm like, okay, here we go. Because if you wait, you miss out. I think you just have to go. Just go. Just go. That's all you need. Just go. How much does a class of Y7 cost these days? It is $25 for a drop-in. I love that. Can we talk about that for a second? Like the growing cost of taking classes in, I mean, I know obviously if you're not, if you're not in New York city, um, in the New York city area, classes range up to almost $50 for a single session. And which is crazy. I'm sure for people that are living in God knows Cookville, Tennessee, and you pay $50 a month or $10 a month to go to a big job, to go to a big box gym. I grew up going to a planet fitness was $10 a month. There's a lot of costs involved, especially when it comes to upkeep with um, machinery. You know, if it's a class with bikes or reformers or things like that, the upkeep of those is very, very expensive. And if you think about, you know, the number of people in New York using those machines and how heavy the usage is in order to keep the experience at a premium, you have to build in those costs or else you know, people are going to be doing things with broken springs or, you know, their resistance isn't going to be working. And, you know, it's always a tough decision when it comes to pricing because you do want to stay affordable, but, you know, you also want to be able to maintain the level of the product that you're um, 
you're selling. What do you think uh, has been one of the biggest lessons you've learned over the past five years? One person may not see something the way that you do, and it doesn't mean it's wrong. You just have to find a way to sort of bridge that gap. And I think that's kind of the hardest thing um, for me and the biggest kind of lesson that I learned. Like I, my mom is Japanese. I grew up with an Asian mother. I never missed a day of school. I like never, I was never allowed to stay home sick. I literally had to be projectile vomiting and bleeding out my eyeballs to stay home. I was never late. And it's something that like, not everyone's like that. So now it's like instilled in me that like, if someone's five minutes late, I get so offended. But that's not, you know, that really doesn't mean anything. It's just like, as a New Yorker, that's a hard thing to, to right, hold people to. Exactly. And it's not it's not personal. But I think, you know, that's kind of a tough thing when like I, you know, I during Hurricane Sandy, I took the ferry to work. And it was really important for me to be there, even though I was just working in fashion and nothing was getting done anyways, because nothing really could happen. But that's, you know, so it's learning people's different like ways that they relate to work and what they deem important and what so it's just like it's really interesting and like I always bring it back to that not to like say that I'm so great I show up everywhere but it's just like a different way that I view you know doing my work is a big part of that is like showing up where you know other people it's like the quality of their work or you know how quickly they get it done and it's finding that like common ground and where you can really relate what do you see your next year really looking like? We're opening studios left and right. They're coming everywhere. They're coming everywhere. They're coming at you. Manhattan, get ready. <laughs> you say Manhattan. Do you think there is going to be a day where we leave Manhattan and L.A.? Uh, we're working on it. It's hard. You know, our teams are we have really solid teams on each coast. Um, and when you go into a new market like that, it's really a lot of work goes into finding that team. We opened one studio in 2017 and it really wasn't even a brand new market. We just relocated Williamsburg. So that year was really spent building our team and finding the people who are going to be with us when we do take this to the next level. So imagine going into like a new state and having to do that all over again. It's a lot of work and it's something that, you know, we have absolutely been working on, and I won't talk about it because I'm very superstitious. Hopefully soon. Hopefully this year is the year, but we do have um, Tribeca opening at the beginning of February um, and also Meatpacking and Bryant Park locations coming up um, all before May. That is insane. <laughs> That's so wonderful. What do you think will be your biggest hurdle in the year to come? Getting everyone on board with the ambitious growth goals that we have. <laughs> you know, people are telling me to slow down and we did in 2017 and I I tried that. It was great, but I'm ready. It was great with so much sarcasm. It was, you know, it was, it was great. <laughs> it was. I, I did a lot in 2017, but I... I'm really ready to kind of, I feel really strongly about our brand. I feel really strongly about what we bring to um, yoga. 
I know that it can be successful in other places besides New York and L.A. What, uh, aside from the studio openings in the next few months, what's something else that you're looking forward to? I don't know. I tend not to look too far forward. Why is that, do you think? I'm really trying to enjoy where I am now. It's become really important to me. And, you know, you miss stuff, I think, if you're always planning ahead. And, you know, some people work really well like that. I don't because then I get disappointed. I get this, like, story in my head of how things are going to work out. And I get disappointed if they don't work out the way it is. And that's just how – that's just a personal thing. So – being in the now isn't yeah, so bad. It's not so bad. Not when you've just opened your eighth studio location. No, it's great. And like, I want to remember when we're like here at this place, you know? I love it. Sarah, I think we're going to wrap it there. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Please, if you're still listening, take a moment and leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode. And while you're at it, Maybe send this episode to a friend, too. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me via email at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at hurdle podcast. And of course, feel free to stalk us both a little bit, too. Sarah, what are your social handles? Um, for Y7, it is just Y7 Studio. And my personal is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H underscore Levy, L-E-V-E-Y. Amazing. I am Emily Abati, A-B-B-A-T-E. And that's all we got. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you next time.